The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Have you ever wondered how Kobe Bryant became an Oscar nominee? Did you even know that he is an Oscar nominee? Yeah, you probably do, actually, after today, because they actually won the Oscar. Uh, But these are the kind of questions that Cal Fussman gets answers to in his podcast, Big Questions with Cal Fussman. He's a best-selling author and Esquire columnist, talks to people who have lived extraordinary lives, from Kobe to Dr. Oz to Tim Ferriss. These are really deep, thoughtful conversations, and you'll end up with burning questions answered and a few new ones to think about. Subscribe to Big Questions with Cal Fussman now in your favorite podcast app like stitcher or apple podcast all right 15 and 60 on the wild wild western conference and we assigned liam to the spurs now 36 and 27 but only one in five in their last six games they do still have the fifth best net rating in the nba at plus 3.1 although there are many teams hot on their heels in that category they have the 17th ranked offense and the second ranked defense projected for a mere 36 or 46 wins though and only 65 percent chance at the playoffs which is unfathomable when we were talking about this team even without Kawhi Leonard and they looked pretty locked into the number three seed so let's uh let's start here by talking about what's been going wrong for them in their last 10 Liam sure so they're two and eight over their last 10 and somehow they only have a negative 0.4 rating in those games I had to look up why and it was because of that 48 win the 48 point win over phoenix yes. that they had on prime time so yeah that's that's skewing their numbers lately a bit but uh their fifth worst defensive rating over the last seven games and i picked seven because that was uh, uh all the games after the phoenix game and i think a couple of their problems defensively can really be traced back to the transition i, I wanted to pull up some specific stats uh, about their transition defense but uh, i couldn't because cleaning the glass was down but recently they, they've been really getting killed in the transition especially off misses and they've been crashing a lot of guys to the glass and they've been a pretty strong offensive rebounding team but lately it's been really killing them over the last like you know 10 games or so they Pau Gasol, Aldridge, uh, even Joffrey Laverne who's been playing lately go for a ton and what they do with their non-shooters that are in the corners with like Kyle Anderson and uh, uh, DeJounte Murray, they they like to sprint in and crash uh, when they're cutting or, you know, go for loose balls because they're not often spacing. And even Danny Green does that some. And when they do that, they're really killing themselves uh, getting back in defense. They got burned a ton by Cleveland and New Orleans. So that's something they're really going to have to figure out, you know, the balance of how many guys they want to send, even though they are getting a lot of second chance, chance points off that. And I thought there, there were some things just in general that uh, were kind of unspurs, like, you know, a little sloppy at times, a uh, lack of communication, some botch switches uh, going under screens. There was one player like Danny Green was playing like two steps off Etwan Moore with the ball, who's having a great season shooting the ball. And I don't know why you would back off a shooter like that. So just small stuff like that that I think they can tighten up. 
And another another reason why the defense might be you know faltering lately is Rudy Gay's been back for I think uh, I think four games now, four or five, and he's been feeling his way back. And, and you know he's never been really strong with his defensive awareness. And when he's playing like the four, and he, he's even played some five with the injuries that they've had to the big men, he's really hurt them defensively and you know making decisions in the drop and the pick and roll. So I think that's definitely hurting some of their defensive you know play overall but what i mean what have you guys seen from them lately defensively you know things to be concerned about at all or maybe you're not as concerned as me well that is concerning because the ability to get back in transition defense was one of the biggest spurs things that you can always count on and you could also always count on them defensive rebounding those are the two things especially in the rebound uh, in the uh, regular season that they can control uh, they control the things that coaches feel like it, you can control and so you don't see as many mental mistakes for them but especially uh, as the guys who have played a lot in this system you know whether it's murray who has been in the starting lineup recently you know that's obviously had some mixed results uh you know i still think that just due to his lack of shooting and his lack of experience you know i think pop put him into the starting lineup when they were still in a pretty comfortable position thinking like okay you know we can kind of play with this it's the regular season we'll see where he's at we want to like get him comfortable but i'm not sure they can afford to do that much longer when i think tony parker and patty mills are are still superior options uh even though neither of them is unbelievable either and i think uh, when you talk about gay you know they've needed to go through him a lot you know they don't have much shot creation especially these games that aldridge has missed with that ankle sprain against the lakers where they blew that 10 point lead in the last five minutes of the game uh but gay i mean he's never was really a guy who could create great shots for himself or others and you know it's a lot of mid-range pull-ups for him trying to use his size and he's not a guy who's going to really create the separation at this point in his, his career I mean, and that's not his fault he was supposed to really be you know at best a third option on this team but with no Aldridge no Kawhi he's massively overstretched at this point especially returning from injury right I'd agree and especially like you mentioned with Aldridge out like they really don't have many creators or guys that are going to create a mismatch or a double or shift the defense so they can run a lot of you know their actions and their pin downs and still get decent stuff but when it comes to crunch time when other teams are a little bit more locked in I think they're definitely going to struggle and just a little bit of of an update on Aldridge he's day-to-day right now with the ankle sprain but my concern is you know ankle sprains are a little bit of a nagging injury obviously and he's going to need some time to you know get that right and but they don't really have time to let him get that right they're right in the midst of the playoff race right now so I I wonder about his mobility especially that they're playing him in some lineups with Gasol so he's going to have to guard some fours and he didn't really do a great job well he played really far off uh Chetty Osman in the in the Cavs game and forced him to do a lot of jump shots but the couple times that he did close out hard he got blown by pretty easily so I do think his quick his quickness is going to be affected. And another guy I wanted to mention uh, that's been affecting their defense negatively is uh, one of Danny's favorites, uh, Joffrey Laverne's been getting minutes lately. And just defensively, he, with his, I think he has a negative wingspan, uh, you know, compared to his height, and he just is not able to contest any of the shots that they ha- ask him to when he's dropping in the pick and roll. He doesn't have the length of Aldridge or Gasol, and even when he's in the post against players like Julius Randle, he was he was really getting beat and bodied, and he just doesn't have the ability to contest shots at the rim at all so that's definitely something they're gonna have to worry about if they're gonna be playing him at backup five with uh the little nicks that uh lamarcus aldridge and pal gasol have had recently so they, you noted that they're playing him over burton so is that they're really playing laverna at the four or you're playing him in concert with aldridge i guess where he might technically be the five there but you know you're playing with too big please don't tell me they're playing laverne and gasol together <laughs> i i don't think i saw that but uh in the in the couple games i saw he was playing mostly uh back 
backup center. And in, in the one game, I, I can't remember which one it is off the top of my head, but I think Gasol was out with an injury and then Aldridge left with the ankle sprain. So he ended up playing just like most of the minutes at five and with him protecting. But no, I, I don't think I've seen much of him at four at the floor with uh, Pal Gasol. So no, you don't have to worry about that at least. Yeah. But I would like to see Davis Bertans get uh, some of his minutes because I think he did, he does a much, he offers much more spacing and even defensively, I think he held up pretty well against Randall. That was a good job, uh, by the way, saying his name again, you know, since we're so pronoun heavy <laughs> on the show. Uh, so but Pau Gasol uh, having a good season defensively within his limitations, but when they're missing some of their guys on, on the perimeter with more guys out, when he has to play more minutes, when he has to close games and teams can really focus in on attacking him, I think it falls apart a little bit for him. I mean, his value is built almost entirely now on laying back and forcing guys to finish over him at the rim where he still has that massive standing reach and wingspan but even the Lakers we saw whether it was Julius Randle uh it, it was very interesting they were running a lot of high pick and roll with Lonzo and Julius Randle Lonzo hit a few threes going to his left where Gasol you know the scouting report is probably to go under on Lonzo and Popovich acknowledged that he killed that coverage at the in the post game there as the Lakers made that comeback but if Gasol needs to get be out beyond the free throw line he's totally incapable of doing that and then what I would have liked to have seen them do at the end of that game was to at least have maybe pre-switch because the Lakers were obviously running that Lonzo high pick and roll every time with Ingram out pre-switch that uh and put someone else on a Randall but then of course your problem is that Randall was so strong he probably would have gone through whether it probably would have been Rudy Gay who was switching onto him and so maybe they felt like they couldn't switch that matchup or it's just not really something that we've seen a lot of from the Spurs is that type of off-ball switching they like to kind of stick to their matchups and keep it simple so they can avoid mistakes so uh, I mean I don't think it's going to get much better for these guys until you know their good players come back yeah and they do have a couple days off because they're going on this nasty road trip so they host Memphis and then they go at the Warriors at the Thunder at the Rockets and then they come home on a back-to-back but they're playing Orlando so they should win that then they host New Orleans Minnesota Golden State Washington Utah that's their next stretch so those are almost exclusively games against very good teams three of them on the road and they are going to need to pull some of these games because the buffer they had is very very close to gone now. yeah and for Kawhi, you know some more stuff i mean danny you've said that and i think i'm starting to get to this point too where it's just like hey you know what when he actually starts practicing like call me then otherwise you know i'm not gonna speculate on whether he's gonna be back or not uh the la- latest report is he's gonna try to come back at, at some point in the middle of the month but an interesting story that came out today i think it was ramona shelburne and nick DePaula that shoe contract talks uh with jordan brand which is Kawhi's current endorsement he's only making like five hundred thousand right now fell apart at a four-year 20 million dollar deal and that's way lower than we've seen some of the the other best stars in the league there's no indication he's going to get a signature shoe which is a big part of it too to get royalties uh and apparently uh he is aggrieved that he's not getting it as much as some of the big players in the league you know considering how good he's been in the mvp voting but uh, and maybe if he wants to blame that on playing in san antonio though i don't think that's really fair i think a lot of it is just not having the charisma in interviews i mean he's he's just uh, and maybe he just can't do that but there are plenty of people who have worked on their shyness and, and have become you know good media guys but i think he just does not view that as part of his responsibility and probably playing with the spurs as well makes it has made it easier for him to kind of hide in that way but if you want to get paid you have to actually capture people's imaginations not just dorks like us uh, who know uh, how awesome he is uh you have to actually 
actually like make kids uh, want to emulate you and and he's not really at that point yet realistically i i'd agree and i think i think this is actually very basketball related just from you know the the point of you know does this affect you know whether he takes the supermax because yeah. i think there's two ways you well, can do and, and it it's either. also probably he's making less money brand i mean you might want to know that he's gonna actually come back and play and you don't get stuck with a jarek rose type of situation as well right they the, also the injury could definitely... have sorry they also could have an investment in where he is sure. because while Kawhi leonard his game doesn't really have that flash if that is going if that is happening in a different place then maybe you can make the argument that it will be appreciated differently yeah, if he, even if maybe that team doesn't win as much if as he goes Spurs to the have. lakers he can follow in the grand media relations tradition of uh, kareem abdul jabbar Right, and I, I think it's just interesting to see yeah, whether. Right, this... I guess, are you guys just too too young for that to know that Kareem was just like not, like just terrible with the media and like a total total curmudgeon? Oh no, I, I I am well aware. I was I was muted and amused, which is which is no, so I... weird because Kareem Kareem is he's can be very personable. I just don't think he wanted to deal yeah. with that. No, I, I had heard about the crabbiness. I just didn't know if it related to his endorsement deals <laughs> and you know all that. But I was laughing on the inside. If that makes you feel okay. better, but uh, um. Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting to see, you know, how this ties into his contract negotiations though, whether whether he's more likely to take that Supermax extension uh you know, because he's not making as much money off the court, or maybe he thinks he can go and, you know, get a bigger deal if he's playing in a bigger market or, you know, more of that. But like you said, a lot of this is personality driven. So it'll be interesting to see how he views it. Let's turn now to the Utah Jazz. What are their fundamentals, Danny? The Jazz are 33 and 30, 5 and 2 since the last time we did this, 10th in net rating, 18th in offense, 6th in defense, and in the garbled Western Conference, 60% playoff odds according to 538 and 538 projects them to finish with 45 wins which is yeah just right in the middle of this morass i believe they're technically tied for ninth with the clippers in terms of projected wins at the yeah, moment that would be one game behind it. the spurs 46 win projection and so you had a few notes you wanted to get into on the impact of rudy gobert a, a joan who we i believe both rank as our second best center in the nba this season and then we also want to talk about maybe what their summer looks like after that they have been spectacular defensively when Gobert has played. I think we've the reason he's probably not going to win Defensive Player of the Year or even be in contention is just because he hasn't played that much going forward. But 99.5 defensive rating with Gobert on the floor this year, 98.2 since he returned from his injury, which was January 19th. And one of the big things with Gobert, and this is not a surprise either to listeners of the show or people who watch the Utah Jazz, is that a big benefit of a rim protector is not as much blocking a ton of shots though they absolutely can do that and Gobert does that it's deterring opponents from taking shots in the restricted area so when Gobert's on the floor their opponents shoot 27 percent of their shots in the restricted area that goes up to 32 percent when he's on the floor and a lot of times his backup this year has been Ekpeuda who is a, a solid rim protector in his own right so that's the difference and Gobert plays overwhelmingly against starters so this is not a starter backup dynamic in that way that would run in his favor because there are typically a lot of talented offensive players in that and the deterrence at the rim is a, a stalwart in his career and his value. He's been, because five th- or, uh, cleaning the glass does it in terms of the differential in, in opponent attempts at the rim. He's 93rd percentile among centers, I believe, or bigs in that in their determination this year. And he's been in the 90th percentile every single year since his rookie year, even among players at his own position, which is incredible. Yeah, and for Gobert, I mean, that's just such an underrated aspect that we probably don't talk about enough is you can say, okay, here's how much the 
shooting changes when you're on and off the floor but you forget that if you're forced to take more shots from the floor that obviously is changing the impact of that even more and so fewer drives to the rim fewer shots right at the rim where he's being challenged that equals fewer fouls the favors gobert combo outstanding during their big win streak going back to january 18th they played 302 minutes together 111 offensive rating 98 defensive rating so they have been outstanding plus 13 together and opponents are actually shooting a reasonable percentage from 338 percent usually you'll see when you have those small sample size uh, really nice lineups that the unsustainable three-point shooting is the reason uh, but they haven't really been particularly lucky maybe offensively i, I think you can say that that's got to be close to unsustainable some of the best in the league offense there with those two bigs and with rubio who struggles to shoot uh, even though he's been hitting a lot lately and, and he's dropped off a little bit he also had that hip injury he's looked a little bit better uh, in the last game here against sacramento but was not quite himself in those games coming back from the break and coming back from the break they've played five games gone three and two despite averaging only 29 percent from downtown and during that big streak they had they were just on fire from three and when they've played well this year generally they've been on fire from three so to get to three and two in that span uh to have won 14 of 16 now including that pre-break streak uh, is very impressive to even be in this conversation considering the fact that they were i think at one point either eight or nine games under 500 and now this is shaping up to be one of those deadly wests that we've always talked about though in part because nine teams in the nba are tanking essentially or eight are uh is a very impressive accomplishment um how are you feeling about their summer at this point danny there are some parallels to the indiana pacers in that they can be more active if they want to be but i could also see them waiting another year because their main contract structure isn't really changing now that especially now that they have jay crowder so the rodney hood part of this is now out of out of it for them they have jay crowder on a reasonable contract for this year is it next year and then one more i correct. think that's what it is it's crazy yeah two more years yeah two more years after this year and rubio is under contract for one more year so maybe they want to roll with that but if they wanted to and i think they would have to have a reason for it and that would be in presumably an unrestricted free agent because a restricted guy they can always get brought back by their current team they could clear some serious money because they have a, a series of non-guaranteed contracts tabo ekpe udo and Jerebko, and then they have the big cap hold for dante exum so they could clear pretty close to max space but i would be patient on that and basically say if somebody says they want to come by all means but other than that i would wait one more year yeah it's interesting whether they want to wait or not exum is a tough one right because you i don't think they want to give up on him they'll have his restricted free agent rights but exum presumably isn't going to want to sign the qualifying offer you could see that those negotiations going well into the summer but as long as he's on their books he's got a 15 million dollar cap hold that comes pretty close to extinguishing any usable space they may have and then if they wanted to bring back favors and exum you're really out of space other than the mid-level exception they've also got about seven million dollars worth of nine guarantees actually closer to eight million nine guarantee between jerebko and yudo cephalosha is five million you imagine with the season ending surgery they probably uh would look to move on from him his guarantee date is july 1st jerebko and yudo not until july 9th so they can kind of wait and see if there's something superior out there compared to those guys they could also stretch alex burks if they wanted to they could get to 25 million in space their purchasing power may go further this year than it will next year in 2019 which will be a more open market but it still seems like do they want to give up on bringing back favors and exum and then also cutting those guys are you really going to do better with you know about 
25 million in space than you're getting with Jarebko you know and also remember too like these guys are all on what are essentially one-year deals except for favors and Exum we'll see what their prices are but Udo and Jarebko are basically on one-year deals and Cephalosha even maybe if he, he gets back to looking healthy they would want to bring him back so are you going to both sign an upgrade on all those guys and do so to get someone to come to Utah who hasn't already been there on a contract that will still allow you to maintain flexibility going forward probably not I mean but they do have a lot of their core under contract still right it's they have Mitchell Crowder Gobert and Ingles are under contract for at least two more years Rubio is under contract for next year they've got Raul Neto's cap hold as a restricted free agent Royce O'Neal making the minimum so do you agree with me though that 25 million in space is probably not better than the guys that they have maybe it changes if you know Exum gets an offer sheet or or you know clearly just it's good they want to move on from him he's not healthy and, and they clearly want to move on from favors maybe that calculation changes. that could change it and also i'm not sure they know exactly what they want i mean sure opportunity will dictate a lot of this especially with a team that doesn't have that kind of history acquiring and wooing free agents you know like they they haven't really done that in the in the recent past at least and yeah so i would wait and they could have if you don't count anything for favors and exim they could have around 50 million for 2019 and that will get cut into by draft picks and all sorts of other stuff but i would be looking more at that time frame and also they'll have a much better idea of what donovan mitchell is and i think the big question that utah needs to answer with this money should they choose to use it is what is donovan mitchell is he a one is he a two is he a combo guard where you want another combo guard to fit with him and they're probably getting closer to that this year than we ever thought and he has been wonderful he's had a a really good year but more information would certainly help before we move on this uh from hymns for hymns.com slash cap space frhims.com slash cap space is the url and their message is basically it's easier to keep the hair that you have than replace the hair that you've lost hair loss is one of those things that really there's a lot of misinformation about but there actually are prescription solutions that work and they work much better when you still have your hair i know a lot of my listeners are in that situation i found myself in that situation at age 25 but i had to actually like go to the doctor and get a prescription and thankfully it's worked for me for over 10 years now uh but it was pretty expensive back then and i had to go to the doctor and get a prescription every like three months or something and and deal with getting refills with hymns there's no waiting room no awkward doctor visits you can save hours if you just go to forhims.com slash cap space enter a few quick questions and then the doctor will review you prescribe you and then everything gets sent directly to your door so once again the, the way to get started with them forhims.com slash cap space uh, is that url let them know that you came from us all right so we're continuing in reverse alphabetical order we already did the spurs so let's get to the sacramento kings the kings are 20 and 44 after winning their game today on a bizarre scal three off a fake dribble handoff it was a pretty spectacular ending of that game intensely amusing and then they got called for a tech but the knicks missed the tech and then missed the half court heave to so they won the game they're three and six since the last 1560 which is actually two oh, yeah, wins <laughs> they are they are dead last in net rating they are dead last in offense and they are second to last in defense so kudos and they're projected to have 25 wins which would put them i believe with the third worst record in the league in front of or behind however you want to see it the memphis grizzlies and the phoenix suns two teams we will talk about in the very near future one point that you made which uh, i've made before i thought you you made it more cogently here is that because they have all of these centers perversely it makes it harder to evaluate those centers right they especially because some of them they play with 
other ones. So Willie Cauley-Stein and Scal are both intriguing players. I mean, both of them have shown something. Cauley-Stein has, has been better this year than I anticipated, and I'm still a Scal supporter, have been since day, since day one. And they just don't have enough floor space. They don't really have their options at the four. So they get into all these weird circumstances. And the best example I have is that the most common lineup with Scal has been De'Aaron Fox, George Hill, not on the team anymore, Garrett Temple, Scal, and Zebo. And if what you're trying to figure out is whether Scal can play center, you're not really getting that kind of information from that lineup. They have certain strengths, of course, but you have Fox, who's a limited shooter at this point, Zebo, who's a extremely limited defender. And so this the pieces they have to evaluate their existing talent are hard. And that isn't changing in the near term unless Kufos in particular declines his player option, which he won't because that would be bad. Yeah. And you can certainly make the argument that Scal is not the headiest defender. He's pretty skinny. You know, you're not gonna be able to stop anyone with him at center. Unfortunately, you can't stop anyone with anyone else at center. So you might as well see what he can do at least a little bit here, especially because, you know, you're not really trying that hard to win games and they're in like rest mode for all these vets at this time. And I think the few times they've had a floor spacing for Willie Cauley sign has found ways to be a lot more effective. And De'Aaron Fox is another guy who I think really, uh, given his limited skill set right now from the perimeter and his decision making, I mean, he's not really learning what it takes to make modern NBA decisions when you have all of these non-shooters on the floor, including himself. It really becomes pretty difficult. I mean, and Sebo has been taking a few more threes and Scal will take a few every now and then, but that's, those guys don't like stand out at the three-point line very often. Like that's not really their raison d'etre offensively. Um, so you mentioned George Hill is not on the team anymore. We could play a little parlor game here of predicting who will still be on this team and in the rotation two years from now. So we're talking after the trade deadline in 2020, who do you think will still be a stalwart on this team? Just so it's out there, the Kings have their pick this year, but they do not have it next year. So they will have one spot taken up and they'll have some cap space at some point. Bogdanovich will be in the final year of his first contract and then will be restricted after that. I think he'll still be there. Really, whether whether or not Vlade is still around. Yeah. Bogdanovich has had a nice year. He, he might totally be the makes best sense player to have him under team control. I would say that he has been. De'Aaron Fox, I see no reason right now to doubt that. Buddy Heald will still be on his rookie scale contract. You know, maybe they've moved him just to, to yeah. do something different especially if they see uh see something I, I, I think healed is, is kind of like 50 50 between potentially getting traded because he's not that much in their plan since they have bogdanovich and just like not really being in the rotation kind of having fallen off in this king shooting guard graveyard um i'm gonna say you know so collie stein has one more year left after this one and then he's gonna be a restricted free agent the summer before that 2019 20 season we're talking about you think that he still ends up on the team i think they're gonna choose between him and scal but my instinct is that they'll end up choosing Kali Stein, actually, which would frustrate me significantly. But the other elephant in the room is obviously if they can get a center in this year's draft, then I could see them moving on from at least Kali Stein of that. So I'm going to say they're not going to have him, but it's a, I think that's a coin flip and Scal. My instinct is that that's a little less than a coin flip. So really what we're looking at, I mean, who's even like a reasonable candidate still be around? Fox? I mean, M- Mason could be the could be the point depth point guard. I could absolutely yeah, he, see that. He's, uh, like be there, be, be Fox's back for that year so, so yeah that, that could be possible um but he might not he, he may not be in the rotation we'll have to see where he is but the, yeah they don't have any other point guards under contract that long um scal yeah probably i mean but he's also seems like the kind of guy that you like could get frustrated with and give up on you know there's some talk that he was could be traded here justin jackson i don't think will be a rotation player unless they just still remain really bad I, i'm not that high on his future he hasn't really done much this year and he's an older 
younger guy already Cauley signs kind of 50 50 i mean so you just and the reason to do this is just to say like hey you know what like what do they really have here you know i mean maybe you could say fox becomes a starting point guard Cauley stein you know we talked about how maybe he like center is so deep and like you know Cauley stein is probably between the 30th and 45th best center in the nba or something like that so maybe if you can re-sign that guy on reasonable money you do it probably a lot of that depends on like who's in power whether it's still the same people who still believe in and want to bring him back or not so you're thinking maybe between you know three four guys here that we think will be a part of this two years from now which is actually not that bad yeah for a team like this it's it's not bad but they have a and we'll see what happens with harry giles at this point you know he hasn't played in a game so we're going to anticipate i'm not going to pencil him in on this point and I think the bigger thing to say about this is that none of those players at this point, I do like De'Aaron Fox's potential. I think that the way he can create separation and defend can work. He just has to have more of a jump shot and, and a lot of these other things. Is that none of these players are so good that it would change the way you build your team based on who you draft, what you yeah. use your cap space on. If if the best player that wants to come to your team as a free agent and is worth that money is a wing, you don't go, oh, we're not going to sign that guy because of Bogdanovich or Heald. If it's a point guard, maybe you're a little bit dicey and that power forward and center nothing's there stopping you so that can be a good thing just because it opens the board as long as the team doesn't restrict themselves beyond what they should but it can also be a little bit challenging because that just means your team doesn't have a lot going on there's one guy i know will be on the team in two years from now and that is matt barnes's stretched salary uh from last year will still be on books for 2.1 yeah and stretching that money didn't really buy them much this year i mean they still had a bunch of space they wasted a bunch of that space it, it reminds me to a degree of the kevin martin right. stretch that the that the wolves did which it just if, unless you have a pretty good reason to use that space just yeah. just take the hit when you can also the the pacers did this with monte that's another one where it happened but they used their money better than the kings did all right let's get to portland here 37 and 26 they have won six straight uh since the last 15 and 60 their 1.2 net rating is only 13th in the nba uh they have the 16 ranked offense and the seventh ranked defense but 90 percent chance of making the playoffs but uh, 48 wins and so again i mean you, you look at these hey 90 percent chance versus uh 60 percent chance for the spurs that's only a two win difference that we're talking about here and yeah the probabilities add up in one way or another but we're at the point now especially so many teams chasing that one loss to a team that you're supposed to beat you know can knock your playoff odds totally out of whack here i mean you, so that's uh a lot of that's based on hey you know what if you play the suns you're gonna beat them and you lose a game like that and all of a sudden it gets a lot uglier they got a big win at home against the oklahoma city thunder on saturday and a series of different standouts in that game but the one that was most interesting to me just by virtue of his role and everything like that was zach collins and collins was he struck kind of struck a cool balance with this team because he is not the starter but he can but he can get minutes if they need it because myers leonard despite getting paid like a backup center is not better than Zach Collins has been. They played him with Ed Davis a lot, and he really did bring some energy, some shot blocking, and he hit a couple threes in this game as well. Yeah, it, it, the three-pointer, as we've mentioned, looks better for him now than it did early on in the season when he really was taking longer to get it off, really jumping forward quite a bit. You know, he's just, his release is quicker. It looks better. What most stood out to me in that game was the shot blocking, and he had three blocks in the fourth quarter, one of which was erroneously called a goal 
goaltend and had another really nice contest where the guy just was able to rim in a layup i think it was jeremy grant coming out of the corner and collins is quick off his feet man like he he is both quick in short areas laterally and he gets up pretty quickly he just completely stoned a josh and josh Eustace is a pretty good athlete a josh Eustace dunk attempt uh where i think he really surprised Eustace with how quickly he, he got off the floor that's uh maybe being a white boy can actually uh help a little bit with the the stealth defense doesn't help with getting a lot of foul calls uh and he's had a nice run since the all-star break he shot better than 50 percent every game since the break still not a, a huge usage uh his 28 minutes against okc was pretty close to a season high uh and i think the only other one was when they got blown out by 17 points so that was uh, and they did play 30 minutes against the lakers in december but i, I thought he was a, a nice presence but uh, also worth noting just where his stats are for the season I mean, he's taking his finishing has not been particularly good uh anytime he tries to post up it's not really working for him he's shooting uh on twos outside of the restricted area he's under 30 percent for the season and shooting uh, you know about 33 percent on threes uh which is solid and seems to be improving but it's one of those things where you know it looks good he makes a couple and it's like all right you know what let's not go crazy here we're talking about 24 out of 71 from three uh, on the season and then his two-point percentage is really ugly it's only 44 percent and that's where i think he's disappointed the most to me is offensively around the rim only seven dunks on the season uh which is less than five percent of his field goal attempts part of that is because he's had to play a lot of four he's had to space out a lot more i'd like to see him as a five which we haven't much i mean the closest we've seen him as a five is he plays with ed davis uh and, and he's still pretty skinny so a little premature probably to say hey you know what he's gonna take over next year for nurkic nurkic is now expendable i do caution against overpaying for nurkic we talked about that in our center ranking podcast but uh, i think collins has shown some signs more than maybe people appreciate it's just he's gonna have to keep playing a lot better and, and you know to play a 20 21 year old center as your starter for a team that has some aspirations remember they're also losing ed davis potentially unless they want to re-sign him with bird rights uh i might try to go with a lower cost kind of one year stopgap option and hope that by the end of next year collins can really step in as the starter uh but you know i'm not counting on that yet it should be noted that he plays as you said a lot of his minutes next to guys that are capable rebounders but his defensive rebound rate this year is below 19 percent, which is yeah. not great when you think about I, that there, i believe you know, in the him. guys that I believe are on the floor if it, i think if you watch him i, I like do the too way he attacks the ball so i mean that's that's a stat that deserves acknowledgement but it doesn't bother me as much as it would with like you know a miles turner or something and this is a good rebounding team uh, overall i believe it is a good rebounding team overall but conceptually one of the things that i really like about collins as a long-term fit and granted there can be arguments about how long-term is relevant here with lillard and mccollum is i like a guy who doesn't need the ball in his hands as much as nurkic does i think that makes sense lillard and mccollum are spectacular offensive players and if you have guys that can convert the opportunities that are there for them i'm fine with having somebody who's not a great post-up guy and maybe collins can get better at attacking on switches because i think that'll be central to if he ends up being the starter at any point what they'll do because if you get into those sort of circumstances or being able to make like one dribble and a good decision if it gets the ball off a trap something like that and I like him in that kind of role and I think he can eventually like be more indoctrinated in the idea of not just taking a shot because he wants to which Nurkic just I don't think you can ever break him from that yeah. because he hasn't and, and he's and been it's always so like some floater or something too yeah or like a contested fadeaway too and you're just sitting there going you're on a team that can be so much better and so having somebody who has a better sense of where they fit in when you have 
have elite talent can can really help. And yeah, I, I like that. And really the way that I would be seeing it is more that Collins makes you more comfortable playing hardball with Nurkic. It doesn't preclude you from bringing him back. I think the market will dictate that more than anything else. But if somebody else makes an irresponsible offer, they shouldn't be matching it in the first place, but this should hopefully lead them to the right path anyway. If somebody trolls them the way Neil Olshay trolled the Thunder with Ennis Kanter. And you know, I'm not sure where that offer sheet comes from for Nurkic. I mean, it does seem like one of these things that's going to really drag out. And unfortunately, you know, Nurkic does not seem like the type of guy who could handle playing on a qualifying offer for a season when he's not getting paid what he wants to be. Uh, we don't have that much time to spend on, on this right now, but it needs to be noted again that Dame Lillard has been unbelievable. Last 20 games, 29.2 points, 39.5% from three, 8.0 net rating. Uh, the offense per NBA.com, which is a little lower numbers than cleaning the glass because it's an estimate, is uh, 111 uh, on offense, which is an outstanding and 64% true shooting. I mean, he is playing at an MVP type level, both in terms of his on off impact and his individual statistics over the last 20 games. And he's had to. I mean, this is a team that is very, very limited offensively outside of he and McCollum when it comes to creation, spacing the floor. And so uh, he's carried them and he's been absolutely unbelievable. I didn't pull the clutch numbers for him this time, but I'm guessing that can be something we talk about in the next 15 and 60 because he's he's been huge at, for, for moments with them. And they need every single one of those games that he's really helped help them win, especially during this stretch. And I mean, it looks like it's going to be tense pretty much the whole way down. And so that was there. Speaking of tension, the Phoenix Suns, their game today ended in a whole bunch of tension, which was weird. So they are now 19 and 46, one and seven since the last time we did this. 29th in net rating at negative 8.6, which is the NBA.com one. Again, some of the stuff is a little bit different. Uh, 28th in offense. 30th in defense and they're projected as stated before to have 23 wins which would tie them with memphis for the league's worst record and thus the most yeah, i may not have given memphis enough credit when we did our tanking podcast so we'll get to them uh, although i mean they are it, memphis is easily the hardest team in the league to have something to say about at this point but this is not the memphis section uh the game tonight was or, or today i should say let it not be said that the phoenix ton- suns are tanking this season they've said that they wouldn't they said that doing it with eric bledsoe last year was a a bad idea but they really could stand to just tank like a little bit more right like tj warren yeah he was in the midst of a great game he had 35 points 16 to 26 from the field because uh they kept running the exact same wide pin down play out of the corner and he would just curl into the lane and the hawks had a stretch in for about six or seven minutes in the third quarter which was some of the worst defense at the rim i've seen all season uh so warren had 35 points but they played him 42 minutes <laughs> and uh booker they played 34 minutes peyton played a little bit less he actually had a triple double though he played 29 minutes so uh i was impressed with marquise chris in this one i thought his three-pointer looked very good he hit a couple early and then he really went to the quick release in the third he ended up with 17 points only 18 minutes but then he got clocked in the back of the head going for an offensive rebound and uh, ended up having to sit down he looked pretty woozy after that um yeah and he right before that he blocked a dunk i'm trying to remember who it was might have been dorsey i'm trying to remember who it was that he it was a really nice just oh getting no no no, there. no, no. Type it was one play. of the blocks of the year it was john collins like picked up a loose ball at half court oh it was collins I mean, okay that, that dude can dunk too like he came down the lane and he looked like he was just gonna end the whole sun's team and chris came out of nowhere and just packed him like didn't even let the ball get out of his hand it was really just like you thought that like the whole sun's team was about to be on a poster with, with a guy like john collins and, and chris a fantastic block um but yeah it's a shame to see him go down a, after playing
playing well. And then they did go with Dragon Bender for 34 minutes in part because Chris was out. Tyson Chandler started uh, and they brought him back into the starting lineup for Alex Len. I'm not sure why Len only played two minutes. I didn't see that portion of the game. Maybe he got hurt or something. Uh, but uh, you've noted that Bender really just, other than shooting three pointers, he just has been really unaggressive offensively. 65% of his shot attempts this year have been from three, which I mean, you could make that work if you want to. And he's shooting 38% on them. But he, he, it's so weird when you think of a guy as tall as he is. Yeah. So about he, he's seven, a legit you know, somewhere in that range. For sure. Yeah. Is when they get the ball and they, and they drive, like if, if they can do that, and he's, he's one of the few that can do that. He's not really looking to score. And so you, you get kind of confused when you watch him, just like, couldn't you do something else with it? Sometimes he makes good passes. He is a capable passer. We even saw that, but going back to 2016 Summer League. But I just, you just want to see more force with him on both ends of the floor, where it's like the capability to, to a certain extent. I mean, he's not built at this point, like, like you would want him to be. But other than that, you know, he can move decently well and he makes decent enough decisions and his jump shot's okay. But in order to be a reliable contributor in the NBA at any size, but especially at seven feet, you have to be able to impose yourself at moments in the game. And he just doesn't do that enough. The skill set still slightly intrigues. 38% from downtown on 233 attempts. So it's a pretty good number of attempts. Uh, the usage is low. It's even lower than last year. And I think part of why he's a little bit loath to attack is he still has a pretty high turnover rate, uh, certainly for a, a guy like him. You know, he, he'll try to throw passes a lot of times, but he's not drawing the defensive attention to really create the opening. And, and there's not a ton of spacing around him, obviously, uh, on this Suns team. And then he also shoots pretty poorly at the rim, only 54% this season. Not ever going to attack a mismatch in the post. Teams can get away with playing a much smaller guy on him. I did find that he was effective late in the game defending the rim. Now, part of that was because all three Hawks point guards were out of the game. Uh, Schroeder was just resting uh, for no apparent reason. It looked like he was injured, but no, actually they checked. Brad Rowland checked with Hawks PR. I know he was said he was fine. And Malcolm Delaney went down with a sprained ankle. And then Isaiah Taylor got ejected in a kerfuffle uh, under the basket after Tayshaun Prince just got in Josh Jackson's face after goaltending him for, for no real reason. And so he, he did force some misses at the rim. Uh, still not as impactful as you'd like a guy like him to be, as he kind of has to be really, I think, to be that really good player. I don't want to give up on him yet, he, but certainly uh, players who started this poorly, even as young as he is, you know, don't have a great history of success. And we're looking at a guy who still is under a 7 PER uh, on the season. You talked about this briefly, but I, it's it's a point worth making sure we mention. In that late, weird issue, which started with Josh Jackson and Torian Prince and was weird in and of itself, the two players who were ejected were Peyton and, I, and Isaiah Taylor, who were originally not involved in that. They came oh, yeah. in and, after and the I fact. apologize for saying and so, that they only played Peyton 29 minutes, potentially was, I, I'd forgotten that he'd been ejected. So that's the reason why he played so few minutes. Yeah, he got tossed. But so what was hilarious was, so it's in the late game, I think it was like two and a half minutes left, something like that, at the, when they got ejected. Both teams, even though they have other players on their roster who can do this, just played without a point guard. They went with other, you know, Devin Booker had the ball in his hands a lot for better or for worse in that late stretch. And the Hawks just kind of went, okay, Torian Prince, just do stuff. And it was and kind of a glorious stealth tank move where he just, the, yeah, I mean, what he did. That could have been I mean, stealth so, tank so you, move because he hit the, the game-winning three off a of pick and roll. I, I did see Devin Booker 
That was such an awkward oh, yeah. three, though. I, Holy crap. I did crap. see Devin Booker. Even on that last three by Prince, I didn't think his defense was that bad. Uh, earlier, he actually drew an offensive foul by like competing to get over a ball screen. You know, that's progress a little bit. For him, the off ball is still a, a major issue, but to at least see him try on ball it was progress. They did just go to the Booker ISO. They wasted a bunch of time. They had about 12 seconds left. He ended up taking a fadeaway three, uh, or I'm sorry, a, a fadeaway two along the right baseline in an ISO. That really wasn't a, a great shot as time expired it looked like the kind of shot that you get when it's tied and you're running the time down intentionally rather than you know something that was quick hitting i would have liked to have seen that but great result for the suns they compete tj warren got to score some points and they ended up a, a critical loss in that double tank game despite the fact that the hawks sat out kent Bazemore and just sat Schroeder down after he was in the midst of a great game and, and still justice was served with the suns getting the loss that they so desperately needed despite trying whereas the hawks didn't try and still uh, meaning the coach staff in the front office obviously not the players on the floor they tried uh but did not actually try to get the win one other just well, a couple other small notes on them i don't i didn't i compiled the stats before today's game but before that devin booker after his return was averaging 33 points on which is amazing on 25 and a half attempts per game 44 percent from the field 39 percent from three and that's a that's good for 34 percent usage rate and 57 percent true shooting which is i believe would be that would be the high of his career yeah, that's right about and, where he is uh, uh, on average this great or, or this season he's, he's yeah. been you know a little bit below average and this yeah. is the best of his career it, before this year yeah so yeah i mean that's it's significant i mean doing it on 26 shots is a little bit different but he's i mean he has that capability and the big question with this even going back to the prospects pod when people got mad about it's like i want i would love to see what he could be as a smaller option on a better team because i think that could really unlock some stuff because he does he's shown some stuff with the ball in his hands and he had a couple there they set especially Tyson Chandler set some high screens and he dribbled into a pull-up and it, it looked good like it looked comfortable with the in those circumstances but just having better options would allow him to be a, a more efficient player in my in my view let's get to OKC wobbly Oklahoma City Thunder are 37 and 28 5 and 3 since the last 15 and 60 their 2.5 net rating is eighth in the NBA but has been steadily dropping since uh, the demise of, of Andre Robertson they have the 12th ranked offense uh, and their defense which is in the top five even during some of their struggles early on it's amazing they've gotten up to 12th in offense you consider after a month and a half they were in the mid-20s but the defense has dropped nearly as precipitously their playoff odds 84 percent, but again 47 projected wins that's only one above a lot of these other teams so it really is going to be that close and what's it looked like here for their starters now that robertson is out and we got a pretty decent sample there yeah, they've played 12 games now and so for reference before that they were about a plus 5.6 net rating so that that's strong they were 29 and 20 that was the record and 102 defensive rating 108 offense then now it's 110 offense so a little bit of an uptick and this is just the starter only numbers and then the defense has gone from 1025 to 1096 so that's where the big drop off is so now they're only a little bit above water plus 0.4 and an, one of the things that's been so different about about all this is that so they've been worse with you know in their 8 and 8 and all that but they've been way better in close games they're they were outperforming their net rating in close games 
early in the year they were negative 10.4 but were about 500 in record now they're plus 15.2 and 500 so it's basically balanced out where they were outperforming it now they're kind of underperforming their net rating and they're they're at exactly 500 yeah after those early struggles it's pretty amazing that that is managed to equalize a big part of why uh, let's look at this first they've struggled in the absence of robertson to find the fifth starter what does it look like just numerically with the five other guys if not starters guys that they wanted to play with that starting unit at times what's looked the best the best the best has been robertson but the best since him has been josh Eustis. i think some of that is because their their defense is the closest kind of aggregation their their offense has been approximation is a better word their offense has been unsustainably good yeah. probably in those lineups they have a yeah, 120 like the whole point there. of Eustis is that you're going to stop people with him it's really difficult to construct an argument that he's like somehow helping your offense that he's the reason for that but in let's say abrinas's case he's been the next most positive they've been similar they've been similarly uh, defensively but then offensively i think that's a little bit more sustainable at 117 they've really struggled with ferguson who has gotten the lion's share of that opportunity he's gotten more of it they're they've been outscored defense has been really shaky in those times those are heavily starters versus starter lineups but still a lot of these are because that's the other four guys are their four primary starters and the interesting one that they tried just because it's a different concept is jeremy grant i think that there is actually a, a serious place to maybe try that because grant his athleticism is, is is different and that can allow you to to just put mellow on the worst forward and so that can maybe work as an alternative in certain matches yeah that's an interesting one obviously grant is really more of a power forward he's got a big role to play on their second unit as well he has closed a, a fair number of games though I and mean, the other one that we might have thought they would go to is patrick patterson but both he and mellow are really too slow to guard threes grant really has got to guard threes uh, or maybe even twos if paul george is going to guard the other team's threes but i mean these are really just some ugly options i mean I, like abrinas certainly you would think would be the best offensively uh but he provides another place to, for opponents to attack defensively but they're really i mean they haven't defended in any of these lineups so to me i would kind of say well you know what let's just go for some offense here uh and see what we can if we can space the floor and just be impossible to stop but uh, yeah it's really their inability to get someone at the trade deadline to be their fourth player i think is really difficult and we might even see uh, billy donovan loves his two point guards together you know if he was willing to play samaje kristen next to russ in crunch time sometimes last year maybe it'll be ray felton who's there and felton at least is a guy who's strong enough to not just get posted up willy-nilly uh but you're basically kind of just using him as a spot-up shooter if you want to say felton's maybe a little better defensively than abrinas but i don't think a huge upgrade there and abrinas is a superior shooter the other big problem that they've had too is that carmelo anthony has been a disappointment this year and so i wanted to compare where he was from last year to this year and really pretty much the same in terms of his shooting percentage from all locations but one he's long been a finisher at the rim who uh, has not been that great uh and really doesn't get to the rim very much anymore either he's taking 13 percent of his shots at the rim this year 14 percent last year so really not a huge downgrade he's taking 41 percent of his shots on twos outside the paint this year took 48 percent last year so he changed his shot selection up a, a little bit to be sure but the problem is he hit 45 percent an elite number on those mid-rangers last year as he had throughout most of his career and inexplicably has not been able to drain those shots this year maybe because if he goes into isolation which is you know that's how a lot of those are created or off the dribble you know he's just not creating the same separation that he once did or maybe it's bad luck but he's been a good shooter out there it's a lot of attempts he had 665 mid-range attempts last year he's at 391 this year and the three-point shooting has been right about where it was last season from above the break 
break the problem is though that we thought he was going to shoot way better because of olympic mellow and he was going to get way more spot up opportunities and in fact if you look at the stats there is plenty of reason to think that mellow would be an awesome spot up guy he didn't have guys setting him up that much but 15.2 percent of his offense was spot ups 1.23 points per possession last year that's awesome right so and you think hey he's going to get more and more guys setting him up this year well this year spot ups are now his leading scoring type 23 percent of the time versus 15 percent of the time last year for mellow more shots more open shots but only 0.97 points per possession which is about league average and when you're taking that many spot ups like you got to be able to hit those shots he's missing a lot of open ones i mean his isos you know right about the same level of efficiency as last year pick and roll ball handling is way down in terms of the amount of possessions but he's actually been more efficient out of that this year doing a little bit more pick and pop uh, but not a ton compared to last year so i mean it really so much of it is just coming down to not hitting shots and he's also been really ineffective in transition a lot of that is just jump shots in transition he's not really a guy who's going to get to the rim and dunk on you anymore or, or dunk at all really in transition so the ball is just not going in for him for whatever reason and whether that we can expect him to do better there going forward i don't know he's getting the good looks more so than he did last year but just has not been able to knock him down and, and i don't know how to determine whether that's going to continue or not but it's been a major problem for them uh, anything else you want to say on these guys before we move on no i compiled some clutch rust stats but we can no, no, there you got it time. you got it here we might as well we might as well bang them out here i just talked for like you know five minutes i could use a break sure so westbrook last year 62 percent usage which is absolutely insane 56.9 true shooting and they had that insane plus 21 actually plus 22 is closer net rating and he assisted on 58 percent of the the baskets that he didn't make so that's pretty incredible this year the usage has dropped from 62 to 44 which is i mean that's massive but it's massive from an impossible standard to a heavy one and but then his effectiveness has dropped almost 10 points from 57 to 47 and the thunder are now not outscoring teams in clutch time that's what i was getting at before and a note on that is that his 47.1 percent true shooting is the lowest true shooting percentage for anybody with greater than 35 percent clutch usage other than bradley beal who had another rough night tonight and that's a huge difference when you go from being the offense and being effective at it effective enough and they defended like i'll get out last year to being a part of the offense and not being as effective it makes sense that oklahoma city isn't what they were so it's getting pretty late here about 10 46 pacific still got a, a few of these to go but once we're done it'll be nice to lay my head on an incredibly comfortable helix sleep mattress helixsleep.com slash cap space is the url to get 50 dollars towards your custom mattress and custom is the big word there it doesn't exist anywhere else to get a mattress personalized to your preferences and sleeping style that's not going to be thousands of dollars you go to their website helixsleep.com slash cap space it lets them know that you came from us and take their simple two to three minute sleep quiz and they'll build you a custom mattress we got a mattress my then girlfriend now fiance and me it was one of those mattresses in a box that's one size fits all they've got a lot of marketing and oh lo and behold it didn't work for us it was one size fits all i was skeptical i was right to be skeptical we both suffered from some back pain might work for some people didn't work for us so we returned that one and my girlfriend found helix sleep we filled out their questionnaire and we've had that mattress for almost three years now and absolutely loved it and we even got another one once we moved into our new place for the guest room so this is a mattress that i love if by some reason you don't they have a hundred night sleep trial and a five-year warranty as well once again that is helixsleep.com slash cap space to get that 50 dollars towards your custom mattress helixsleep.com slash cap space let them know that you came from us where we're going next here to another team that has been on fire recently the new orleans 
one's Pelicans. Pelicans are 36 and 26, 7 and 0 since the last time we did this. They're now 14th in net rating, 9th in offense, 18th in defense. 538 gives them an 82% chance of making the playoffs and 47 projected wins. So right at that level with the Oklahoma City Thunder, who we just talked about. And Anthony Davis just won his first Western Conference Player of the Month and absolutely deserved it. While there were other great candidates in, in other months, Anthony Davis was has been ridiculous. These are not his February stats. These are his stats since DeMarcus Cousins' injury because I think that's the inflection yep. point rather than February. Thir- 34.6 points, which is best in the league. 13.8 rebounds, which is third behind Drummond and DeAndre Jordan. Second in blocks with 2.2. Third in usage and 58% true shooting. So he's just been, he's been huge for them. Just, they had to rely on him a lot. We knew that there was just a bunch of shots that were going to be going to other guys. And he's been huge in that. And the other guy who's delivered, and we'll talk more about Davis too, of course, is Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday's had a, a really big stretch as well. Holiday, career high in true shooting. Interestingly enough, though, considering how well he has scored of late, one of the lower usages and assist percentage of his career since his early years in Philly, uh, not getting quite as many steals, but I have, a, as I've said many times, liked him when he really locks in to pressure up. He, he's one of the league best there. Uh, he's played 63% of his minutes at shooting guard, which is a lot more than he's ever played. He'd only been at 21% of his minutes. He's been mostly a point guard in New Orleans before. If we use him with Rondo and without as a proxy, the numbers definitely change a little bit. He's played about half of his minutes with Rondo, half without. Negative 0.6 net rating with Rondo, plus 8.7. Without him, his assist percentage nearly doubles without Rondo on the floor. The efficiency, though, is about the same, and the usage is about 3% higher. So really what it boils down to, I think a lot of it is that the defense is so much better when Rondo is off the floor. I think really, as much as we talk about Rondo's lack of shooting, it's his defensive issues since that ACL injury that may have been maybe even bigger than some of the offensive problems that, that he brings so they really defend uh and the offense goes up by about two points per 100 as well when rondo is is not on the floor and, and i mean and it just makes sense because you've got bigger guys who compete harder defensively drew can get the ball in his hands he distributes a, a lot more but he's a threat to attack you know he makes the passes that uh you know it's not just a guy coming off of a screen and you throw it to him he actually gets in the lane and, and creates an opportunity for himself or others uh and during this run he scored 20 plus in all seven of their wins per Tim McMahon and he had 21 points in the third quarter tonight against Dallas. I believe that was that he had 21 points at that point in third quarter he ended the game with 30 on 12 of 19 shooting oh yeah my bad but a a really nice night from him again no it's it's okay and and Davis again was 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 big I mean 23 points 13 rebounds three blocks three steals and in this game they had to use him at center because Emeka Okafor was dealing with the sprained ankle and it's Dallas so they rightfully expected that they were probably going to win either way so they they put him in that spot and going back briefly to the Drew Rondo thing I think the takeaway from it was that there was a point when it was necessary and that's when the personnel issues dictated it because they didn't really hadn't seen much from Darius Miller at for a stretch of time Etwan Moore has come on really well this year and and they've been without Solomon Hill the whole time but so they they just didn't have wings that they really trusted and so hey you go to you go to your best players that's sort of an idea and it did help make Drew Holiday more confident as a score and there is a value to that however you take that lesson and you carry the benefits of it on to your current talent and they've done that reasonably well and since the injury and this is a mix of different things the biggest thing that has shifted for them is that their defense in clutch situations has gotten it's been way more successful some of that is being better because they have better personnel out there in terms of defense the other part is that 
that there's some luck involved, not surprisingly. Opponents shot 37% on threes in clutch time before Cousins went down, and now they're shooting 32. So yeah, they have a 93-94 defensive rating since DeMarcus Cousins went down in clutch situations, but if you move that 32% up to 35-36%, it looks still very strong, but not as like ridiculous. So I just went through their schedule, and we don't need to go through every single game, but this is just as a prediction, just subjectively, I would say that they would probably, to me, without Butler, assuming Butler, I mean, maybe he'll come back right at the very end of the regular season, but if we just assume without Butler or with a hobbled, barely returning Butler, I mean, watching Butler and Tibbs, that combination, you know, you don't exactly take a ton of solace in the idea that they're going to like baby him when he comes back. I see nine games where without Butler, because the projection systems aren't as good here because they don't know that Butler is out. Nine games where I would have them as underdog they have a home game against the clippers which i would say it'd probably be close to a toss out uh without butler and then they have what six other games besides that they had 16 games left played 66 already uh, one of the uh bigger loads in the league so far that's one <laughs> reason they're in a little better shape because they bank some of these wins before butler got injured so let's say they go seven and nine in these last 16 that puts them at 45 wins and you know i think i said before i i thought they were in pretty good shape because they didn't have that many more to win we felt like when butler went down they needed eight wins they got two of those early and, and then have had a, a couple of losses since then in games that they were not favored in at portland and at utah where they were competitive but it did not win two and two since the butler injury being the bulls and king in that stretch man it's gonna be tight for them you know i mean the, i think if they could get to 500 i think that would be an absolute victory to get eight more wins and that would put them at 46 and i think if you get to 46 you're probably good if you get to 45 oof that's close yeah well so th- it was a little bit of an adru- abrupt transition from new orleans to minnesota but minnesota is the next team anyway so it's not really a big problem and the timing for minnesota the the structure of these games is also really challenging because their next five so they have this really bizarre six day off period after that game against the jazz and i'm sure if things end up going south a little bit from here the carl anthony towns ejection at the end of the second quarter in that game will be very important that will loom large for them and i i didn't agree with no. it personally but you can't hear everything that's said yeah, on yeah, the floor you're, you're talking about so, the jazz game. I, I, I came across the lane yeah and uh i mean maybe there'd been an altercation between them previously but just looking at that play he came across the lane it looked like for most of the play he actually had both hands in the ball tried to just go up and hey caught rudy gobert in the chops uh, with the elbow but gobert wasn't really like seriously injured and towns actually made the shot gobert contested it and and for that to be an ejection was really a surprise to me in there and nothing ever came out that i saw in terms of like a pool reporting explaining why or anything like that asking why so it, it could have been one of those situations where the ref at in the moment didn't realize that it was a second and that would toss yeah. him and but they they can't really re- revive it they i i thought i heard something about how it'd been like an ongoing dialogue and it was kane fitzgerald the same ref that tossed lebron with what looked like a hair trigger so maybe there's a conversation that should should be happening there but as i said there's some context but so what i wanted to get to was the the way these games are are laid out is a real challenge for minnesota because their next five they have this six day break after the jazz game and then before the next one home against boston home against the warriors at the wizards at the spurs home against the rock so those are all brutal games all very tough against teams that are playing well some travel involved yeah. for and, certain and games. you wonder too if they go on if, a losing streak like could things snowball but here for the two exactly and so then after that it gets a lot easier but so let's say they have
have five, they have five games left against bottom eight teams. If they win all five of those, they need to only go three and eight in the remaining games to get to 46. But if they lose all of those five, then that means they have to go 500 in those remaining six games the rest of the way. And that's pretty hard because a lot of them are against good teams. See, I, I, my expectation is I think they're going to get, they're going to get to 46, but it's going to be close. And then Jimmy Butler, you know, whether he can come back, what he is, I mean, if they're right at that border, then that means they're getting, if they make it in, they're getting the Rockets or the Warriors in the first round. So welcome back. You're going to get thrown into it right right away. Let's talk about, you know, the actual basketball that they've been playing. They played well against the Blazers for three quarters and Carl Towns had been dominant. Wiggins played pretty well in that game early on, but finished seven out of 20 and 21 points. So not very efficient there. He was negative nine. He's been actually positive in the plus minus the other three games. Actually, no, he was even against Utah and his shot it well but Carl Towns he got ejected in the Utah game but the game before they just decided to eject him from the offense themselves and he didn't really get much in the way of touches or shots in the last six minutes of that game as they really uh, devolved into taking some tough mid-rangers which you'll do against the Blazers you know Towns has a pretty good matchup against those Blazers centers who I, you know I don't think can really guard him particularly well there's not a lot of guys in the league who can guard him and you would hope that with Butler out maybe they would finally look to Towns in the clutch but even last year when they really really struggled in the clutch it was the Wiggins show he wasn't able to deliver in that Portland game although uh, he has been relatively efficient over 20 points in all four games since the Butler injury he was massive after Towns got ejected I mean I I was basically ready to write off that game from their perspective in the Utah game because he had four points at halftime Wiggins did and then he scored 23 on 9 of 15 from the field and he lost a couple at the line he was one of five that could have you know they could have swung it a little bit in that game and shockingly minnesota without towns i thought oh okay it's going to be the gorgie jang show because you know it can keep basically the same format jang did play more than he probably usually would have but he only played 12 minutes and five seconds and that meant they were using tosh gibson more uh i think george's hunt played a little bit they went into those kind of lineups and you know they were they were more competitive teague had 15 points in just that second half and so i liked the way that they fought it didn't end up being a part of it and my concern is that the fight is going to, you know, in these five games, they're going to have to maintain that because a one win in those five games would be massive. And if they don't get one, then can they handle that hit unless Jimmy Butler's coming back right away and you don't want to rush him back because you want this to be a long-term relationship and the risk of, you know, guys coming back from a meniscus injury, we, we talked about it when he got hurt. I mean, there's there's a history there with guys like Brandon Roy. Yeah, Tibbs is kind of a serial monogamist. Like he, he only plays one guy at each, each position, but, you know, it kind of burns out pretty for him. Uh, Let's move on to the team that we unfortunately have very little to say about the 1844 Memphis Grizzlies 0-7 since the last 15 and 60 and their negative 5.2 net rating is not as bad as it seems like they should be right now is 27th Tyreek Evans is missing time with a rib cartilage injury Uh, right now Chandler Parsons is out despite uh, Tim McMahon saying that he has said that he's ready and then he had an illness uh, after that uh, after he's kind of being held out for precautionary reasons or whatever with the knees Uh, uh, maybe the thought there is hey the earlier we can get him out the earlier we can kind of hopefully get him off our cap with the medical retirement but parsons does not seem interested in that at all uh their 27th ranked offense 19th ranked defense and are projected at 23 runs so uh right at the bottom where i wanted to focus for this is jamichael green green signed a what looked like and i I would you could make a point still is a, a reasonable contract two years 15 million maybe 16 and 
for a starting potential starting caliber power forward yes he was limited by the restricted market and he is older he turns 28 this summer so for a guy who'd have been in the league that that short a period of time he's older that also in terms of upside the big problem that he's had this season has been depending on how you see it either a regression or a slump from three and whether it's a regression or a slump will be a, will be the determining factor so last year he shot 38 percent from three on two and a half attempts per 36 minutes this year shooting more threes 3.2 per 36 but he's making 32 percent of them so that's a big drop and the reason why the question is whether it's a regression or a slump is that he is a small sample size the year before that but he was at 33 percent then so if jermichael green is a 33 percent three-point shooter still useful to a point but it's not nearly what he was last year and it probably doesn't make a difference in terms of team building for the grizzlies because they're going to have the opportunities it's basically their first round pick in the middle level exception but in terms of what they are next season which jermichael green they get is vitally important and i'll tell you one place he's not going to be effective is playing at the three uh, now that they've moved on from james ennis they've been playing a lot of lineups with he and jarell martin as the starting forwards i mean that's going back to like some mid 90s type of lineups when like the knicks were starting anthony bonner or anthony mason at the three or like corliss williamson would play the three. it's like the modern day equivalent of that and green if he's gonna play the four if there's some spacing around him he can get in the lane get up for some dunks or roll to the basket with marcus soul spacing the floor it works for him if he's gonna play the three i mean he's when you're playing with he and martin together neither of those guys can do anything off the dribble neither of them is really a great spot up threat except as a last resort and you're just there's no way to have an effective offense and especially when you take tyreek evans off the floor i mean their offense has just been so incredibly bad now without evans and they just have nobody else out there at this point to create marcus sola expressing some frustration uh saying this isn't the g league we've gotta we aren't here to learn we're losing games well you know i mean that's kind of the lot that, that it's gonna be for the rest of the season and i guess they're gonna bring back tyreek when he's ready from this rube carter's thing oh they're not going to rush him back i mean we're struggling here so i'll just ask you the question like is there anything that you're interested in seeing from this team the rest of the year i mean it, it gets so hard when these teams are taking I me mean, i watched that suns hawks game today and i was just like i can't learn anything from this like this is just like maybe guys will play well but it's like nobody's trying and half the players are like just 10 days and call-ups out of the g league and it's just like it's hard to learn anything but if you could learn anything you know what would it be on the team there are a couple areas of emphasis for me one is just getting a better sense of dylan brooks brooks to me of their young players looks like the guy who has a mo- the most reliable role next year some of that is just the limited means of improvement on the wing and i mean they're going to need those in the worst way he's under contract and he is w- more of a defensive player to me than an offensive player at this point you know he can he can hit some shots periodically but he 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 can grind a little bit on that end and then so he's one area then selden and harrison the, they will be on uh, selden has a heavy partial guarantee harrison has a non-guarantee i expect both of them to be on the team next year but are they rotation players are they starters i want to get a better sense of that and then the other big one is ben macklemore has just struggled so much this year he struggled with health for periods of time but then when he's been on the floor he really hasn't been good 33 percent from three 48 percent from two per of nine this year and he's fully guaranteed for next year and if that was part of the reason that they wouldn't take on money for next year with Tyreek that just the that's a really bad reason to lose the asset in that sort of a case it could have been because they wanted resignment all that so I want to see what they have at the kind of at the swingman spots from those players because they will be determined determinative next year because yes they're getting back hopefully Mike Conley and hopefully Marcus 
is, you know, 100% to start next year. But if their wings aren't up to snuff, it's going to take a lot for them to elevate into the playoff picture, which is, I'm sure, what they want. All right, let's move it to the 28 and 34 Lakers. Five and two since the last 15 and 60. Swept their first four game road trip since 2009 in impressive fashion, concluding it with that comeback victory over the Spurs, which many thought would be a schedule loss. We did the end of that for a little bonus coverage on uh, the Tour NBA show. Alonzo looked pretty good. Uh, their net rating negative 1.5, which is 21st in the NBA. Projected wins are all, all the way up to 38. It's not realistic for them to, to make the playoffs with so many teams ahead of them projected for 45 wins or more. Just not enough time to, to make that up, even if they were able to continue playing at this level. Their 23rd ranked offense, that is a big jump from where it was. Uh, I think they deserve a ton of credit for the way that they really push it in transition. They were probably the second best transition team in terms of their frequency. I think the last time I looked at it from the Warriors. And then the 11th ranked defense, again, massive strides from where they were a year ago. And uh, Mr. Liu, you uh, requested an opening tirade. Just a small one. <laughs> we have a lot of other stuff to talk about with them. And there is this the stupidest line of criticism that we get. And there, there are genuine ones. I, I understand that. Is this idea of one or both of us being Laker haters. And that's the reason that we're low on their guys. Because A, that would make us bad at our jobs. And B, there is no evidence of it. Because when guys have either gone to or from the Lakers, our praise and criticism hasn't changed. D'Angelo Russell, I've been more critical of this year than I was last year, partially because I was higher on him originally and I probably shouldn't have been. KCP, we've loved him both places, all that kind of stuff. So if you want to say we're misevaluating their players or something like that, that's fine. But it's just just be better with your criticism because that's it just shows that it, it it's bad. Like be better at this than that. And there's nothing to be gained. And all it does is illustrate that you can't think of a better argument. So you're going with something that makes no logical sense. I'd love it if the Lakers were good. I mean, it's good for business. <laughs> that's for sure. It's good for our game watching. I've uh, enjoyed watching them, uh, especially in this uh, recent stretch compared to last year when they were just taking their asses off. Uh, so it, it's time to talk a little bit uh, about Brandon Ingram, catch up on him. Uh, been playing well uh, of late. And, and it's interesting. I mean, you know, there are certainly other players around the league that I like better than him. But the idea that like, I don't think he's going to be a good player is not true. I think that when we talked about the cores, I saw him maybe, and this is a ceiling, it's not guaranteed that he's going to reach this by any means. That's the second best player on a good team. And like, that's pretty good to be the second best player on a good team is no slight whatsoever. I don't necessarily see the superstar potential with him, although he has done a lot of great things, which we'll get to. But let's just start with some of the fundamentals here. Ranks 52nd in RPM among small forward, negative 1.07 on offense and negative 0.41 on defense. Box plus minus, another stat that approximates plus minus based on the box score that basketball reference does, negative 1.2, which is below average and a 13.9 PR. And his net rating a negative 2.7 is the lowest of any of the major Lakers players aside from Kuzma, who's negative 3.0. So if you just look at where he is now as a player in the aggregate, every possible overall stat statistic, none of those are the be all end all, but if they all go in one direction, it starts to mean something, indicates that he's probably been a, a below average starter this year. Now, you assume that he's going to improve being only age 20. Why do we think that he's going to get better other than just simply being 20? Well, he's got long arms. That's something that people talk about a lot. Although the idea that he really uses those uh, in ways that really impact winning, you know, that's iffy, especially defensively to where, you know, I think his it helps his individual defense. But if you're talking about really some of the best wing players that I think a lot of people believe that he's going to be, you know, this sort of nuclear athlete type of player, I don't think he's there in terms 
of what he's able to actually do on the court steals blocks help defense at this point in time and when you look at where he's at overall statistically he's not really on a star track even given that he's 22nd year in the league we we usually would see a little bit more from someone at this age they're really going to be a superstar either when they're just popping off the screen at you the way a Giannis would uh playing amazing lockdown defense the way someone like Kawhi would um now that's why I don't necessarily see him being a superstar he's not really that great right now below average efficiency overall and he doesn't have that absolute like pop athleticism and he doesn't have one great skill I think he can get to the point where he's adequate to above average in a lot of areas where you don't see the one great skill uh from him I'm intrigued by Ingram's potential on both ends of the floor and I had him second in his draft class so this is not something where oh I've been low on him forever and stayed low on him defensively we haven't seen we've seen it as a as you said as a as a man-to-man defender and he plays with good energy on that end which I like but it's a different kind of defense than somebody like even young Kawhi or something like that and and that's yeah. not necessarily it, a fair thing it's more like a Tayshaun Prince kind too. of containment sort of defense than it is right really making yeah, your it, guy uncomfortable and that's valuable but it's also not the same type of thing especially as a help defender and I wonder just over time how that how that versatility will be and also how his body will evolve because if he's gonna he can get stronger and still maintain his mobility but at cer- a certain point there will have to be a decision made there because that's just the way it works for any, any human being just what you want to emphasize in terms of your work so that's going to be a big question and then the other element offensively and I can't remember where we talked about this so I don't remember if it was on the podcast so that's why I'm going to talk about it is he has looked much better with the ball in his hands and that is not a surprise because a player who is a reluctant and or bad shooter either way oftentimes looks better in that way because you have to defend them more actively however in order for him to be an important player on a good team and this is something I've said about Jason Tatum as well he's going to be able to need to do that at a very high level because otherwise if it's just a benefit then it helps but it's not determinative and then you're still going to need a guy to run the offense basically it's the line between Giannis or LeBron or somebody like that and I'm trying to think of the right example of this do you have one of a guy who's like good with the ball in their hands but it's not it's not the offense well I think he can be better than like a Nick Batum type of player you know I, I wouldn't put him in that as low as that um there aren't a, a lot of analogs. but let's say let's yeah. say something in yeah. that yeah let's say something in that range like the value added to your team is massive between those two things and that is that is a challenge so he's going to be in one place or the other we'll know that in a couple of years we won't know that right now and the other thing that he's going to need to do is he's been making more of his threes this year that's wonderful he needs to take enough of them that teams yeah. really if respect he's gonna it, be uh, you know not the primary option he's got to play off the ball right and and he's going to need to provide that spacing because if the other team doesn't need to stay close to him in this and we we saw this we'll probably talk about it in the in the rocket section with pj tucker teams will learn what you want to do and what you don't want to do pretty quickly and if they can gum up the works and recover well enough things like that they will and when he gets to that point so he can put it together absolutely i i mean i, I his potential is, is there but potential and certainty are two completely different things let's talk a little bit more though about what he is doing one of the biggest things that i looked at last year i mean i i would say in terms of his improvement so far this year uh and now people like to do this thing where it's like okay he had this bad start to the year but oh you haven't seen what he's doing in the last month well you know that whole all of that count you know just because he's a young guy you can't just take all right well he's reached this new level because he's done this for a month you know there can be a lot of randomness involved but one of the big things that i yeah well can i can i say my quick quick rule on that unless there is a reason to narrow the sample don't narrow the sample yeah, so like but, if and, and Nikola Batum, when he hurt his elbow then, people can i mean 
unless there's a specific injury people can always kind of find something it's like right. oh well you know he had a kid and he hasn't been the same since then or it's like you know maybe that's it but you no. none of us have any way of knowing whether that's really it so i think it's no, the, yeah i meant i meant like an injury right. based yeah an injury based reason or if a guy's being horrendously misused for some reason like a guy's playing like when like yeah. Michael green is or, playing or Jokic, the three. that Jokic sort of a thing playing together with me, that sort of thing um but but getting yeah. back to what he's doing well he is 52 dunks this year after only 30 all of last year and, and that's really big to me and so that shows that he's getting to the rim more that he's being more aggressive and while he is a skinny guy i even said this last year i'm impressed by how much he tries to seek out contact he's got a pretty decent free throw rate and sometimes he, he could even get his shoulder into guys and knock him back a little bit and score and i understand why people are can be so high in him because when it's working it can look very good for him but people also forget the plays where he looked really bad right i mean if you're a guy who is got this nine three standing reach and seven three wingspan and gets through him a lot you'd think you know especially these guys who are the best wing scorers in the nba these these really undeniable type of players on the wing as you like to say well they finished incredibly well through him and and he's improved his finishing to some degree so far this year up to 62 percent, which is about league average on a spacing challenge lakers team that that's not bad he was 59 percent last year and he's got a lot more attempts so so that's all good but he also just has a ton of plays at the room where it just he like tries to see the contact and he doesn't get it and it's totally out of control and he'll just throw him he has some really bad looking finishes some of them will look good when he's able to really get the extension and finish but where he has absolutely no game right now is in the floater range he's taken 112 shots from floater range he's made only 24 percent of those so if he can't get all the way to the rim for either a dunk or a very conventional layup odds are the ball's not going to go in but getting back to him getting to the rim it really starts with the hesitation dribble that he has that's what he likes to get back to uh earlier in the year he was going right a lot more that's evened out he's willing to go left a little bit more still better finishing going to his right to be sure that's where he's most effective especially on those top isos and i think when you look at the reliance on on his hesitation dribble that shows out in the numbers with his isos which you'll uh, some of those will be off a pick and roll switches some of them will just be late game iso he's been the main guy late in games and when he isos up top 1.06 point per possession that's excellent when he's on the side about 0.8 points per possession actually even lower than that uh, in some of those because there he's really more of a triple threat he doesn't have the space to get a running start hesitate cross his guy over and when he's up top he can go right or left it's harder to go either direction when you're starting from a triple threat on the wing and he really gets to the rim so of 55 isos up top he's only shot in a jump shot on 12 of those uh and i don't i think overall that's probably gonna end up bad because you just you end up forcing it to the rim a fair amount of the time that way uh i think especially with his height be able to shoot that shot uh and make it i mean it's really his jump shot now is more about just not really being interested in taking it and that to me shows more necessarily than what the results are when he does he's only and then on spot ups yeah you know he's 38 out of 100 on threes it's always shooting 38 percent big progress well if he had missed four more shots he'd be at 34 percent the sample is just not big enough to make anything of that much as it was uh, at duke when he shot i think it was 38 he might even shot 40 percent at duke uh and when you look at his overall catch and shoot numbers 0.94 points per possession those are supposed to be some of the most efficient shots that is really ugly and then to only get 95 catch and shoot shots all year in the half court as well just not really comfortable spacing the floor when he doesn't have the ball he'll shoot from the corners he's been really on fire from the corners shooting the three but then above the break only 32 percent and sorry that's wrong he's 24 out of 69 on above the break threes i was i had a breakdown with he and lopez on and off 
off the court uh but so that, that's not a great number in terms of the number of attempts uh i don't know anything else to to add there i mean it's uh that's a lot to digest but i, I think it's just that's why i don't see top 10 in the league superstar in his career i see him as more of a valuable jack of all trades if the jump shot comes around otherwise you know i'm not sure he can be the number one option with the ball in his hands all the time if he's not gonna be able to hit shot two other things briefly one is i there there are flashes of him being a nice passer but he's not a superlative one so i think he can be better than some of the other guys in his lane but not so much like a game changer in that way and i want to see how his turnover rate progresses with more time with the ball in his hands we'll see how this works with lonzo it has been and so the one other point just because with the with the young course thing this came up i found it funny that lakers fans were so aggrieved by it when you think about that basically all of the teams off the top of my head that we had above them had a player that has already established themselves at an all-star level i mean celtics with Kyrie, joel Embiid, Giannis, all those type yeah. of guys Jokic, the lakers Victor, i believe uh rudy gobert yeah, bradley beal because i forgot yeah. the wizards my bad um like all those guys all those teams have that the lakers i believe had the were the, both of us had them as the highest rated core that doesn't have that established player on it and that's pretty good you know like those we know how valuable all-star caliber guys are and it's strange to think that that is somehow not a great place to be when it when it absolutely and is. they have a especially now that their yeah, books they are have a lot of these guys but you know there's a reason why all-stars in the nba are so valuable because you know five nickels doesn't make a court you know you if you have one or two really good guys you're talking about what would you rather have well i'd rather have those one or two really good guys those are the guys that you really can't get now the lakers some of the lakers guys might turn into an all-star caliber player but we don't know that yet and they are a long way away from getting there when you've got guys who are already at that level with our criteria of under 25 players they're obviously going to be ahead of a team that hasn't gotten there yet uh let's get to the clippers now the clippers won close surprisingly close today at home over the brooklyn nets so now they are 34 and 28 six and two since the last time we did this 12th in net rating at plus 1.3 eighth in offense 17th in defense 538 projects them to finish with 45 wins and a 56 percent chance of making the playoffs so they are right in the mix milos teodosic it's been a very interesting year for him you know he hasn't been one of the main guys he's been in and out of the lineup with the plantar fasciitis but they are 23 and 10 when he plays maybe part of that is that you know a Jawan evans or a Cinderius thornwell doesn't have to play when he does uh, but one of my concerns about him was is he going to be able to score reliably enough and to where his passing can really be a part of the equation and he's at 54 percent true shooting which is just below league average i think that's probably better than i would have projected 36 percent on threes after really struggling to start the year and he's get he's comfortable taking the three-pointer especially even a couple of sets behind the line especially when the defense goes under and if you have to go over on him now you can uh, unlock some of that beautiful pick and roll magic that he provides avery bradley we talked about a little bit last week could be out three weeks could be out one week it has the feeling one of those things especially with him becoming a free agent that you know maybe he doesn't return this year how much are they going to miss him if he's out they have gotten more from ty wallace and cj williams than i ever expected i mean the the way they've succeeded with their two-way contracts is huge but avery bradley the especially the way he could defend opposing point guards just opened up some vers- versatility for them and i think they will miss him less than i expected yeah but every win counts i mean we've talked about how close this is going to be so if that swings a game or two that might be a, a game or two enough yeah and they're projected for that 45 wins and you know that's a little towards the lower end of these teams 
who are all in the mix here um Danilo Gallinari out again with a bruised hand doesn't seem to have affected them that much they have a 2.1 net rating with him on the floor 1.1 with him off I think they're pretty comfortable playing without him he does provide a, a nice element offensively a little somewhere else to go with the ball a little bit more spacing than they've had but they also opens up more minutes for Montrez Harrell to get in and he's been outstanding statistically so far this season but what I wanted to go back to with the Gallo a disappointment this is supposed to be the good year and he may still contribute once this hand injury abates uh, before the next injury comes but remember how they got him number one they signed him to basically a three-year 65 million dollar deal in that sign and trade from Denver that also hard capped them so you've got the opportunity cost of paying him that 20 million and then also you know they've been up against the tax all year in part because of that and then also remember they traded away Jamal Crawford who you know could have helped them a little bit this year uh and also gave up that first round pick that they got from the Rockets which is looking like it's going to be 29 or 30 this year how is that deal looking now with the passage of time knowing what we know now not particularly great I mean Gallinari was always the if healthy and that part hasn't delivered this year and it does curtail the Clippers flexibility somewhat I mean 20 million dollars on your books for the next couple of years we don't know exactly yeah. what's happening with DeAndre they could Jordan. have had some pretty big I think time that... space this offseason had if they had Crawford just do you know whatever it was two million guaranteed for next year at the time I think it was three million guaranteed for next year rather than you know and that could have been stretched so that basically would have been 19 million extra dollars they probably could have come up with but they have all these player options on the books that probably aren't going to get declined so not really the end of the world and obviously there's the question of re-signing DeAndre Jordan who would have eaten up all that space and at that point they had Blake Griffin and they were able to get off I think I've liked the way Tobias Harris has looked with the Clippers so far and you know there there is this argument and I, I want to watch more of them to feel confident in it that they're they just make a little bit more sense yeah. now because the, the players can slot in and that is good of course for them moving forward but they just need to figure out you know what what they are and they've been able to get big performances in different games I mean they had the Boban game against Denver Lou Williams has had he, he was big in the in the clutch today against Brooklyn and they can they can piece this together they can they can hodgepodge it enough but the standards are getting elevated so much on them and so it's kind of this idea of well okay they can get to like 43 44 maybe even 45 wins but if it's going to take 46 to get in which it might then this starts to get a little dicey for them unless they just continue outperforming expectations six and two since the last 15 and 60 so i think they're going to be in the mix making all these other teams sweat but i still don't buy it all the way yet yeah it does seem like they out of all the teams that we've seen here they are the most resilient maybe the pels would be second here and just looking at it from afar it seems like the clippers and the pels are the teams in this mix that kind of should be out of it but those teams have been winning as well to the point where you can't really say that any longer let's talk about the rockets here we'll get to their win over boston i really want to focus in on that but first uh, what are their fundamentals they are 49 and 13 undefeated in the seven games since the last 1560 and it's 16 now right i believe it is 16. Uh, i can't remember whether it's 15 the or 16. i can't remember they're playing for 15 or had 15 coming into yesterday but uh nonetheless a uh, pretty good win streak and <laughs> if they can get through their next four games which we'll talk about momentarily you know this could get to be a pretty massive win streak uh to yes. complete the fundamentals briefly second in net rating second in offense 10th in defense they're making the playoffs and they're projected to have 64 wins which would be one more than the warriors but they also have the tiebreaker so they have a little bit more wiggle room there but yeah their their next five their next five games next four now that they beat boston in the game we're about to talk about absolutely brutal road trip at okc on tuesday 
away, then a back-to-back at Milwaukee on Wednesday, then at Toronto on Friday, and then the respite at Dallas close to home on Sunday. And if they can get through that, which, I mean, that would be awesome if they can get through that. We're going to actually do their game against Oklahoma City Tour NBA show on Tuesday. That at Toronto game is going to be awesome, and I need to watch that one for sure. And that would put the win streak at at least 19 or 20, which I think would be the fourth longest in NBA history. There's the 72 Lakers at 33. The 13 Heat had 27. 16 Warriors had 24. And then I think the this Rockets team, a very unheralded, unremembered team in 2008, won 22 straight. And then I think you go back to like the 70 Knicks or something with 18. So they could get up to here the fifth longest win streak in NBA history if they could win these next four all on the road. And they had a pretty brutal road trip before this one game at home against Boston. And so let's talk about that now. What were your main takeaways? takeaways from the Rockets side of this game against a Boston team that actually can make some pretty good offensive teams look at least a little bit below their stratospheric peak. Boston approached this game very well from a defensive perspective. They wanted to let PJ Tucker as a shooter beat them. And for the most yeah. part, the first play that of the really game, worked to their the favor. The game, Al Horford did not get over far enough on a pick and roll and Capella, I think, got a dunk. And after that, then they stopped guarding Tucker. And generally speaking, so he, he made a couple shots, I think, at one point he was two of five I think he might have made one more after that those were really other than I think one pass those were the positive results on all of those possessions there were sometimes where he shot it he also record scratched a few times and all of the benefits you gain on on those possessions are just gumming up the works for their drivers whoever that may be for uh, trying to get defensive rebounds everything else like that and teams throughout the playoffs whether that we're talking the theoretical western conference finals with the Warriors or earlier rounds are probably going to go to that because Houston offense is so good that your best strategy against them is probably just to make pj tucker a jump shooter yeah and i mean the passes were a little bit off to tucker in the corner he's not a guy who has the footwork to really catch move his feet and get that shot off he was two of five at one point but you know that leaves two possessions where he made him pay and probably you know 20 possessions where they helped off of him to so in fact now let's not go crazy here houston definitely shot the ball amazingly well led by eric gordon who i mean his slumped to some degree from three but uh shot incredibly well on, on deep three-pointers and that was really a big part of, of what kept houston in is they shot over 40 percent on threes till the very late going and i thought one of the big things that we we're going to look at here i think number one is they're switching defense late and i thought their switching defense was pretty good boston just made a lot of three-pointers earlier in the game i didn't see them have a ton of breakdowns there i think just in terms of the shot quality the rocket really outplayed the celtics but harden they did go at Kyrie irving every time that seems to be their strategy find the weakest defender i liked that strategy but harden really did not succeed in attacking he took the step back to his right that is a play that looks awesome when it goes in when it doesn't it looks like he's settling so he's been making that shot a lot this season he, he did it twice in a row running the time down and then going to the step back he was open as as he can get but you'd hope he could maybe get a better look or drive to the rim and force some help i mean that's where the really juicy stuff gets when you get the switch is driving to the rim and, and forcing help and instead of getting your own shot so Harden has been unbelievable in isolation he's having one of the best isolation seasons we've ever seen for anyone maybe the best but you wonder how much that can sustain in the playoffs against the best defenses down the stretch possession after possession after possession I give him a ton of credit for what he's been able to do late in games for Houston uh, all year I have some degree of skepticism that it's going to work at the very end of games against the best teams but if he can make it work then he's going to have an epic epic playoffs because they're going to run everything through him it gets frustrating for me 
because he's so good with the ball in his hands that I think he can do more. I would I hold him to a higher standard because he deserves a higher standard. And another important takeaway for me from this game, and we don't know how much time he's going to play in the playoffs, but they acquired him through a buyout. Joe Johnson, do you want to guess? And, and a lot of this was him. Do you want to guess the Rockets' defensive rating for the minutes he played? He played about four, uh, 13 and a half minutes in this game. Yeah, you know, I, I would love to know the answer to that. 157. Wow. And a lot of that was him just blowing circumstances, you know, like like maybe it was a switch and the guy drove by him or he lost a guy and they, they slipped in for a cut or an offensive rebound, things like that. And Joe Johnson can be a capable player in the right circumstances, but the Rockets don't really need what he brings. That's why it was so nice to see him on the Jazz last year where, you know, he could kind of find his way into a niche, yeah. but the Rockets and have so many guy guys that are good Rudy with the ball in their hands. Behind it too. Right. When, when and, the Rockets are switching everything, Joe really gets it exposed quite a bit more. And I mean, we... Yeah, yeah I mean, he's, he's their Kyrie Irving, yeah, basically. When we, <laughs> and the, that's what I have liked so much about this Rockets team throughout much of the year is they don't really have anyone other than maybe Harden, uh, who I really thought Kyrie should have... They should have gone at Harden more because whenever the, he got onto Kyrie, uh, he did really poorly, but I thought he had some nice moments of, of help defense uh, at times and even some contests earlier in the game. It's just when he has to move laterally, he's just totally incapable. Uh, even in the post, we talked about this on the show, and it was a little tangent, but we talked about this on the show. I think I like turning and facing against him because teams like to go into the post against Harden and then trying to beat his quickness, even if you're a big, because he wants to lean on you. He does not want to get down in a stance and slide his feet laterally. I don't think he can physically do that. Um, but anyway, back to Joe Johnson, you know, he gives another place for teams to attack. And when we were tracking at late first quarter, early second, when Boston really went on a nice run, I mean, remember Houston was up 28-20 and then Boston went on a big run with uh, Harden out of the game and Kyrie out of the game. I think they got maybe, you know, six or seven buckets during that period at the expense of Joe Johnson was getting blown by, not much help defense, missing box outs. And so I really, you know, it kind of made sense. It's one of those moves that like you placate your veteran players, oh, we're going to get Joe Johnson. But man, I mean, I I am not sure that this team is better with him out there uh, on their second unit. I think he's a good innings eater for the playoffs, or, or I'm sorry, for the regular season. You mean yeah. for the regular but season? in the playoffs, I think he can really get taken advantage of, it, which is where you're going with that. Uh, let's get to uh, the Golden State Warriors. I don't think we're going to talk about that much here, but where are they at fundamentals-wise? 49 and 14, one loss behind the Rockets, 6 and 1 since the last time we did this. Number 1 in net rating, number 1 in offense, number 5 in defense, projected to have 63 wins. And the biggest change that has happened since the last 15 and 60 is that they are now starting JaVale McGee at center. They transitioned away from Zaza Pachulia. They had a plus 10 net rating with the four All-Stars and Zaza Pachulia at center. They have it in a much smaller sample size, a plus 25.1 net rating with JaVale McGee out there. And another note like that, the Hamptons 5 is as Tim Kawakami dubbed it, but that's the, de- the death lineup with Durant instead of Harrison Barnes. That was really struggling at the beginning of the year, and now they're up to plus 11, so better than the Pachulia lineup, and they've looked better, especially as, as Iguodala is physically more aggressive. To use a word that you often use, he's playing with more alacrity now. I think that he is, that is a key to what they are doing, and it parallels what happened at this time last year. That's the case, and Iguodala is really the guy that they were missing, as much as you want to talk about the struggles with the, the backup wings. Uh, Jordan Bell is back. They sent him down to Santa Cruz for a game. He's actually mostly been playing the four since he got back. Uh, I think he's, his destiny is still as a five, but they've been playing well with McGee at the five. Maybe we will see that in certain spot start, he will start at the five when they need more 
mobility how are you feeling about with this recent stretch where the, they've won a few games had had some solid wins not necessarily dominating win uh since the break how much of whatever level of worry you had about them if, if you're gonna say you know one to ten ten being they lose to the rockets one being they're gonna sweep the rockets where were you before the all-star break and where are you now i don't think it's changed much for me the biggest difference is iguodala so maybe before i was at a four so i think the warriors were favorites in that series but just you know not not huge favorites and now i'd maybe have it as a three which is ludicrous because the rockets haven't lost but that's the way this is the rockets have their they they can be wonderful i they are to me the greatest threat to the warriors by a significant margin right now but if the warriors play their defense and their offense they're still the favorites and what iguodala brings to them is that fifth guy we we knew the other elements and and it's not all the way there yet but it's a lot closer and jordan bell could be another part of that solution and the other big thing that change that I have to mention. I, I talked about how JaVale McGee's been there, but that Kerr was willing to move off Petrulia at this point is very significant because they're going to have to change up their rotation in the playoffs anyway. They're be- like, the Rockets are good enough to force Draymond at center a lot more than they had to last year. And so the willingness to change once, to me, makes it more likely that they will change again when they have to. I agree. I, I thought it was also encouraging that he went with Bell uh, in those Cleveland games. The Denver Nuggets are 35-28, and 5-2, and two since the last 15 and 60 but yet it seems so deflating that loss to the clippers at home was so ugly they also have a pretty road heavy schedule going forward uh they are projected for 46 wins that's one more than the clippers so i mean we've been saying all these teams 71 percent chance at making the playoffs they have the 16th best net rating in the nba 0.4 sixth in offense 26th now all the way down there in defense and i probably haven't seen enough about paul Millsap to note uh much uh, on his return they did have a really nice win at the Cavs put up a buck 26 on them and Gary Harris had a big game I thought this was an excellent time to check in on the second best shooting guard in the NBA behind Contavious Caldwell Pope just kidding he was big as as much as we kind of talked about the the Clippers game being deflating for them getting that win in Cleveland made up a lot of that because that's you know even though Cleveland has their foibles defensively they're they're still that's still a big win Gary Harris in that game 32 points 10 to 17 shooting 6 to 10 from three four assists and when you look at kind of what's been different and what's been similar for him this year still taking about the same proportion of his uh, uh, his possessions in spot-up circumstances a little bit less effective this year than last year but still i mean 1.1 points per possession yeah in that 42 percent on threes last year 40 this year i mean basically from from a what is he going to shoot on threes going for the rest of the year standpoint i mean pretty much identical the 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 guy's an excellent open three-point right and one of the big changes that has happened this year is that they've been doing more just as the as the offense has been changing through handoffs and you know a little bit under a point per possession there which is way better than last year but that's not the most effective form of offense as well and still very effective in transition yeah. that's well, been well, let me let me hit before. on the handoffs there because that to me yeah you want to say all right what is he doing better this year and he's fourth in rpm uh, among shooting guards uh 20th in defensive rpm but the offense uh, has been very helpful uh you will recall that you know emmanuel moody 
Fournier played a bunch with their second unit so that probably overinflates where he's at a little bit they've got he's got Jokic with him in the starting lineup as well there's definitely some collinearity issues with that number to some degree I don't think he's the fourth best shooting guard in the NBA 20th in defensive RPM I'd say that's probably pretty close to where I'd have him maybe a little bit above there but you know not a guy who's a lockdown guy tries team defender doesn't have the size to really be a great switch guy but back to the handoffs 22 percent of the time handoffs this year only 14 percent last year and the handoff really is a big part of what makes this offense go because that is like that is a tough shot to take that's it's not quite shooting a three off the dribble but it's pretty close you're you're sprinting off the handoff you have to create enough separation from your man be moving at a speed where you can create separation uh and then stop it and pull up a lot of times you're not going to be right at the three-point line you might have to be a couple of steps behind it's a shot that requires a fair amount of versatility to your jumper it's always going to be uh above the break if it's a three and to improve their being able to shoot that shot he is right now has the fourth highest frequency of handoffs in the nba among players who have had 50 or more handoff possessions this year and so why is the handoff so important to their offense well if you're going to deny the handoff if you have to get out on him number one to take away that three now he can curl into the lane it's really difficult to ice a handoff or if you're going to try to just keep him from getting middle or if you're going to try and make, keep him from making the catch now he can get to that backdoor game that's been so effective they've been taking that away a little bit more with he and Jokic and so that's why I think we've seen more of the handoffs in addition to the fact that he just is able to take and make that shot more often so that is a real threat you know he's not a guy who's going to just kill you off the dribble and pick and roll you swing it to him he can get in the lane he can make a play he can finish okay he'll get uncork pretty nice dunk every once in a while but aside from that uh, the handoff is really impressive to me uh, as a, a way to create some offense just with off-ball movement and shooting ability on a team that doesn't have the most amazing individual creator for point of reference he is taking about the same proportion of his shots in handoff situations this year as jj reddick is and their eff- efficiency is almost identical as well and that is not to say he is the shooter that jj reddick is but if you want to get like that that element of their game has been similarly effective this year is striking Wayne ellington is miles ahead of everybody because Wayne ellington is ridiculous in this but other than that those guys stand out yeah and harris was unbelievable against cleveland dropping 32 6 of 10 from three at four assists uh and when he goes off it's always very efficient i mean he does not take bad shots that he can't hit very often oh yeah we've reached the end here unless you had you had something else on him no nah, <laughs> not really <laughs> we've been we've been doing this for like two and a half hours so we can we can finish up with the dallas mavericks the mavericks 19 and 45 after their loss today one in six since the last 15 and 60 and that win was not against a bottom eight team it was against the indiana pacers yeah that was an odd they game the pacers have had a weird run of it lately where they've lost a couple of games to bad teams and then they they went and beat milwaukee on the road and beat the wizards yeah. today yeah and so they're the dallas mavericks are 22nd in net rating 21st in offense 21st in defense and they're not making the playoffs they're they have a 25 or 25 projected wins which is a little bit above the bottom bottom but it's still still towards that mix and it's been a, a kind of a strange go of it at this point because they're integrating very different players not only doug mcdermott who before today's game because i compiled the stats before today's game he was averaging 22 minutes a game about nine points nine points per game six, 62.5 true shooting 16 usage so not not terrible per a little bit over under 14 and they have a big decision with him because if they want to keep his restricted rights mcdermott's cap hold is 10.5 
$10 million. So what my instinct is that they will do, because if he takes the qualifying offer, that's okay. I, I don't think that's devastating for them in any way. Then, because the qualifying offer is not at $10 million, it's substantially less than that. What they can do is just what the Boston Celtics did with Kelly Olynyk. If he comes back, like if, if, he, if, if, you, if you don't have the use for that space and he signs a reasonable qualifying offer with somebody, all that. Yeah, the great. reasonable offer sheet, if, you mean? Offer yeah. sheet, yes. Sorry. And, and if you get somebody better, whether that is a big man like Derek Favors or DeMarcus Cousins or DeAndre Jordan or something else, then you decline his qualifying offer, you rescind it, you say goodbye, thank you for the third of a season that you played for us. That's a pretty good spot to be with them, and that is not the spot that they are in with the returning Nerlens Noel. Yeah, not a ton to say about him yet. He's played about 15 minutes a game in these last couple, getting some steals and blocks. I, I want to lock in on him a little bit more, maybe two weeks from now when, when we've got a little bit more uh, of a look at, at him and how he's uh, affecting the team on the court. Uh, but one guy who's been really affecting his team pretty poorly on the court is Dennis Smith, very much struggling from the field of late. Last 15 games have been a massive struggle, 23% from three, 35% on long twos. While I've liked the way his form has looked hopping into a shot a little bit better on long twos, that's a little little concerning and then in floater range five out of 21 is really ugly and then he's only 52 percent at the end, so struggling badly from every area at this point i still am a believer in him because i you know the ability to even create this many shots at, at that young of an age is good but there's really in terms of his rpm the on off his low efficiency and, and high usage in the high 20s been one of the more damaging players in the nba as pretty much any rookie point guard who's thrust into starting and is being asked to do this much is going to be uh and, and of course his defense has been pretty atrocious for wide swaths of the year to the point where he was called out by rick carlisle so it's been a, an ugly return for him uh back to earth he had had a hot stretch uh, in the early part of the new year but I, I, i'm not willing to say that you know this recent cold spell makes me sour on him that much i still believe in his potential if he doesn't start to show some signs next year obviously it'll be time to come off that to some degree so what i wanted to ask you really quickly here as we're going to finish up is there are a number of point guards slash combo guards who are drafted in the top 13 donovan mitchell obviously is one of those malik monk probably pretty clearly at the bottom of this group smith nilakina De'Aaron fox lonzo ball markel fultz fultz is a tough one maybe we can leave him out of it for now because just he, no one knows what's going on with this injury and and with his issues shooting the ball uh, i'm very very concerned about that obviously i have been for a long time how would you rank those guys in terms of who you would want to have for the next you know call it 10 years my clarifying question is ceiling floor expected value well i mean i when i say who would you rather have i'm you mean expected value well well, Eh, i mean it doesn't need to be expected value because you know and i'm going to make this point in a second but i would have still have smith over lonzo ball uh even though ball has clearly been a better less damaging player at the very least this season um but a lot of that's eye of the beholder right like for me the reason for that is i still believe that smith has the higher upside uh because i think there are some things about lonzo where he's just going to bump in into a hard ceiling with his scoring ability and whereas smith i do think the sky's the limit even if lonzo i think is perhaps more likely to if you're going to say you know who's more likely to just kind of be a above average player you might go with lonzo over smith uh but i personally value superstar production so the question is really more about just what you personally value who would you rather have on your team if you were trying to build a team you know relatively from scratch we look at all these teams kind of lottery sort of team what is a challenge for me in 
certain ways is that Smith, might, his closest parallel might actually be De'Aaron Fox, just because both those guys can create separation. Like that isn't a concern for them in the way that it is for Lonzo with me. And I think that's the reason why I will still have Dennis Smith over Lonzo, even though Lonzo also has been way better. He's way better as a passer, way better so far as a defender. But creating separation is... that coupled with shooting those are really central to the modern point guard in terms of creating value for a team offensively i have donovan mitchell one for right now just because he has proven he has proven what he can do in those ranges and i think also defensively his ceiling is is crazy high as well he is a little bit older so that's that is it runs against him a little bit but when you look at what he could be you know like kind of the all nba potential with with mitchell he is going to have to convert it he's not me that one of these guys is going to have i mean you would be very pleased if one of these guys a year from now being younger than Mitchell now a year from now is having the type of season that Mitchell is having this year so I, I think it, right. you know the fact that he's already there to be this effective to be a near average efficiency on this type of usage on on a good team is just remarkable and how and how his role has shifted so much I mean th- it's different than the way this was I mean Fox probably is the closest analog because he played with next to George Hill and now he isn't anymore in terms of just the role the roles being weird at the beginning of the season but I still believe in Dennis Smith's athleticism, his ability to create separation, kind of in a weird way paralleling Brandon Ingram, where the highs look so good that you're sitting there going like, oh my god, how is this going to... And he had a couple of those in the game against the Pelicans today, where he just like drive past a guy and, and shoot a pull-up or get close to the rim, or he had one really nice offensive rebound where you just couldn't really figure out how he got there. Like, those sorts of plays are important, and I look more at that than the overall stuff for a player at his position as young as he is. So, I lean in that way. It's similar to Jamal Murray, where I trust I trust my early analysis and those sorts of elements more. But I mean, I think Lonzo Lonzo has certainly been way better than he was when we did the prospect rankings. So he has closed that margin significantly and it is based more on those tools than anything else at this point. So here's my ranking would be Mitchell one, Smith two, Lonzo three. Although I, I, I could see an argument for Lonzo over Smith, but we don't know Lonzo, this recent shooting surge, you know, how real is that? He still shoots 49% from the foul line. Uh, he's made some strides going to his right some strides in the mid-range but you know the reason he had to make those strides because he's so far behind it in a lot of those areas um you know really just creating any kind of efficient two-point look for himself is difficult um and then after ball who is third i would have fox probably would still go with markel fultz after that just because again i i believe in upside i still i'm very troubled that he can ever reach it but maybe if he can get back to being the player that he was even as recently as as summer league he could always rock it up this even there's a small chance of realizing that upside i'd have nilakina after that although certainly the reports from the knicks that he's uh now going to be their shooting guard or, or a shooting guard not even their shooting guard uh, are troubling you know i think he can be a point guard as long as you put the right talent around him um and i don't think i think a lot of it, what he's doing is going to be wasted uh, at shooting guard and then uh you know like i didn't forget anyone, did i no i didn't because no, canard is not a combo yeah, guard no so yeah and, and monk probably it doesn't even necessarily deserve to be in the conversation i, I shouldn't say deserve but just like it, it doesn't really fit i mean he's really more pure much more so than mitchell and it, it it is pretty remarkable though when you when you scoot down after that that i mean so Derek white hasn't really shown much this year frank mason has has impressed as kind of the equivalent of a backup guard frank frank jackson hasn't played at all this year Jawan evans hasn't hasn't really so like you have this incredibly top heavy group and then outside of them not a whole lot from the point guard position but if you can get two through five let's say two anywhere from two to five starting 
starting caliber point guards from this class and maybe some with some real potential beyond that that's a lot when you consider how these guys are aging all right that'll do it for today please don't forget about our sponsors and we will be back tomorrow night gonna do a gamer tomorrow on monday we will talk to y'all then ah only two hours and 30 minutes nice nice sure (laughs) at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.